Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us here at Journey Church. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. And I guess just to start off this morning, I wanted to ask how you're doing. Like, how are you? I, I just know, I ask that because I know some of you over the last five days have been going without, maybe without food, maybe without some sort of entertainment, maybe without some sort of caffeine, whatever it is that you maybe were fasting from. I just want to ask how, how it is that, that, that you're doing. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm hanging in there. I'm ready to, to break the fast this morning with some, with, and we're going to feast on some, some real bread this morning and, and really feast on the goodness and on the graciousness and the greatness of Jesus this morning. Now, my hope, and part of the reason why we did this five-day fast, and, and it was exciting to hear different people and how they participated and how they leaned into this opportunity, but, but really the hope and the reason why we did it at the beginning of Lent is that it would actually set up a path for us. It would set out this path of, of Lent for us. It's a path of, of self-reflection, a path of humility, and a path of, of repentance. And not only that, but it's also a path of, of prayer, a path of fasting, and a path of giving. You see, the, the practice of Lent, one of its earliest, like, how it was instituted was as this way to prepare people for baptism. It was like this six-week baptism class. And one of the, the main things that they taught them was how to pray, how to fast, and how to give. And so I know this morning, the reason I, brought, I bring that up is because I know that I've had people that have been asking me and as I've heard kind of through the grapevine, like how can we be supporting and helping all this going on in in the Ukraine, just knowing that that is far away, and is there anything that we as a church or we as individuals can be doing? And, and one of the, the practices of Lent is that if you give up something, is that you would also maybe, use, whatever you're giving up, maybe it's a coffee drink, maybe it's lunch or whatever it is, like maybe some of the money that you would have spent on that, you would set aside and then give that towards someone in need. Well, as part of the Free Methodist Church, we have churches around the world, none actually in Ukraine, but many in, in Europe where those who are fleeing from Ukraine are, are going to. And so we have an opportunity, along with other Free Methodist churches in America, to actually support those churches that will be welcoming in those that are fleeing from just the, the destructiveness of what's taking place there. So in this week, I, I don't have any information here today, but this week, if you follow us on social media or if you get our newsletter, you'll see a place to give through the Free Methodist Church that will end up in the hands of Christians helping both followers of Jesus and people who aren't followers of Jesus but who find themselves in a hard place. And so that will be an opportunity for us to continue to practice in this path of Lent. All right, now today, we're going to continue, as Mitchell mentioned, in the Gospel of John. Now, if you were here last week, in the last two weeks, you know that we've been in John chapter 9, and we were looking at a story about a man who was born blind. Let me just give you a quick synopsis. There was a man who was born blind, right? And he, Jesus walked by him with the disciples, and he saw him, and he talked to his disciples about why he was there. They wanted to know who sinned and who didn't and why he was blind. And, and they kind of t discussed that a little bit. But eventually Jesus spits in the mud, makes a little bit of mud, wipes it on his eyes, tells the man to go to the, the pool of Siloam to wash, and he does. The man follows the instructions of Jesus. He, he takes himself, to, or probably gets led to the pool of Siloam, washes, and it says that he came home seeing. Now, that just sounds like a fantastic miracle. Let's just stop right there, right? But 
all of a sudden, his neighbors started asking questions. And if you read that story last week with us, you know, like, they're wondering, like, what happened to you? How did this happen to you? And he told them, the man named Jesus put mud on my eyes. I went and washed, and I came home seeing. And so they took him to the Pharisees. Like, we got to know what's going on. And, and the Pharisees had the exact same questions. Like, what happened to you? And, and how did this happen? They were all focused on the, on the how, but not so much on the who. Like, how this happened, not rather who made this happen? Who is this Jesus that, that you mentioned? And, and the whole thing gets kind of crazy. His parents get, show up, and they start asking the parents questions, and they kind of just put it off on, on the man that was born blind. And, and eventually, he gets in this argument with the Pharisees, like, like do you want to be Jesus' disciple? Or they're like, no, you're his, and we're Moses. And it just becomes a little bit snarky. And at the end of it, they, they kick the man out of the synagogue. They just throw him out, and he's out on his own, not just like out the door, but out of the church and on his own. And so it says that Jesus went and found him. And he said, do you, do you believe in, in the son of man? And he's like, I don't know who that is. Tell me who he is. And Jesus says, it's me. And he says, I believe. And he worshiped. And then in that moment, Jesus stood up and, and to the crowd that was standing there, which included a number of Pharisees, Jesus said that. He said, I have come so that the blind will see and so that those who can see will become blind. And at this point in the story, Jesus is no longer talking about physical blindness. He's not talking about, like, the man's eyes. He's talking about the people's hearts and their spiritual blindness. And he's talking more to the Pharisees than to anyone else. And, and what he's doing here is what N.T. Wright describes. He says, this is what the presence of Jesus does. It divides the world into those who come to the light, Jesus, and allow it to change, heal, and direct their lives. And those who resist the light, Jesus, and choose to remain in darkness. You see, and this is the moment where we pick up actually today in chapter 10. Now, when we look at the chapter 10, we all of a sudden think, well, it's a chapter break, new story, new situation, you know, turn the page, here we go, chapter 10. But, but really, there was no break in the story. Jesus said these things to the Pharisees, and then all of a sudden, he goes into what we're going to read in chapter 10. So let's pick up there. It's chapter 10. Starting at verse 1, if you have a Bible, you can uh, open up to there. If you don't, then the words will be up on the screen. But here's what it says in chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he, has brought, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf come, or sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. 
Then the wolf attacks and the flocks, attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay, my de- I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So now here, as we pick up in John chapter 10, Jesus is attempting to help these Pharisees. I believe he's actually talking directly to these Pharisees in this moment. He's helping them to understand who he is and what he is doing. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that these Pharisees, they struggle with this religious spirit. They struggle with a religious attitude. What they really struggle with is is putting religion over relationship. And so Jesus is coming to to help help them and to teach them and and to show them who he is and and what he's doing. And he does so by using a parable. Now, this is, not, uh, this, is, this is normal for Jesus. He uses parables all the time, but very rarely in John's gospel. And here in this parable, we see that it, it involves a shepherd, uh, some thieves and robbers, a thief, a gate, and then, of course, sheep, right? And, and I think maybe the question we all are asking, like, so why, why sheep? Like, how did Jesus come to the, like, choosing sheep? For his parable, because if we're honest, I think we all would agree that sheep don't have the best reputation. Let me just maybe ask for a little bit of audience participation here. So, so be ready. I'm going to make a statement, I'm gonna, but I'm going to stop and leave a blank at the end, and, and you just fill it in with whatever comes to mind first, and say it loudly. You're speaking through a mask, and people want to hear you. So it's sheep are dumb, dumb stupid. I, I thought I would hear like someone say soft or cute or cuddly, but. It, but it's mostly like sheep are, are dumb. They're, they're not smart. And, and, you know, I doubt any of us have spent any time with sheep in this room. So we, don't have, we have no firsthand knowledge. But, but we've seen things like this. I forgot that it showed the slow-mo of that. So, I mean, I'm sure that there is some truth, right, to, to what we all believe about sheep. But 
Jesus didn't include the sheep in the story because of that. He wasn't pointing us to sheep in the story because he thought sheep were stupid. He was actually using sheep in this story, I believe, because he wanted to point out the unique relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. So that we're going to talk about that this morning, about that relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. And to do that, we need to kind of define this relationship. We need to kind of have our own little DTR. But, but in order to do that, <laughs> in order to do that, we're actually going to look at four ways this relationship is demonstrated. And then we're going to define the relationship at the end. So here's the first of four. The first is this, is that the shepherd protects the sheep. Now, we know that sheep need protection. Jesus listed all the threats. He said robbers, thieves, uh, wolves, and even just like a specific thief. He actually names the thief as, as one who would come to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and when Jesus was talking about this thief, it's often understood that he's talking about the enemy. He's talking about Satan. And if we know anything about Satan, or at least what Jesus says about Satan in John uh, 8.44, when he says he is uh, the father of lies, that lying is his native tongue. We know that the strategy of the enemy, the strategy of the thief, the strategy of Satan is, is to lie. Now, John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, he describes the enemy this way or the thief this way. He says, his motto is tear it all down. Wherever he finds life, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it. Love, corrupt it. Unity, fragment it into a million pieces. Human flourishing, Push it to anarchy and tyranny. Either will do. His anti-life, pro-death, pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire. So this is, this is the threat. And what we read in this passage is about the protection. And the protection that's offered is, is a gate. And it's a door. Jesus says, I am the gate. And whoever enters through me will be saved. And when we read that, we often think instantly think about salvation, right? We think that, that I, I am going to be saved, I'm going to go to heaven, and all of these things, and, and that is a, a correct translation. But the word actually is even better translated, kept safely. Like, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be kept safely. You see, the, in Israel, or in the area this time, they didn't have a lot of wood and, and barbed wire to create fences. They had rocks, a, a whole lot of rocks. And so they would create a, a circular rock wall with, with one opening in, at one end, and that was where the sheep would come in and where the sheep would come out. And the shepherd would then, at night, lay down across that opening so that no thieves or, or wolves could come in and no sheep could get out. And so Jesus recognizing that he knew that sheep would need protection. He knew that they would need help, and he was willing to do that himself. He was willing to be a shepherd who protects his sheep. The next way that relationship is demonstrated says that the shepherd wants, to, wants the best for his sheep. Now, by contrast, we just read about the enemy who, who comes not only to steal, which makes sense, like the thief steals, but it says he also comes to kill and destroy He's been doing this from the beginning. And as I said, his, his strategy is lies and deception. And his target is like the disordered desires of, of humanity. And he just targets them over and over and over again. But on the other hand, the good shepherd, Jesus says, he comes to give life and to give it to the full. Now that's life abundant, right? That's the, the abundant life. This is what is best 
for us. And we've maybe heard that expression before. We've heard that description of the abundant life. But soon, Jesus will say, he'll say in a few chapters, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for us, the way to life is actually through the truth. You see, the, the enemy's strategy is, is lies. And so our way to counteract that, our way to fight against that would be with the truth. And one of the enemy's greatest lies, I believe, is about this idea of, of the abundant life. Like what we've come to believe the abundant life is. And I think what we would say if, if someone were just to ask us sometimes, like, what's the abundant life? Well, it's, it's just simply happiness. It's health, right? It's, it's wealth. It's, it's ease. It's, it's opulence. It's, it's the good life. But I actually believe that that's too simple and, and too narrow and too, even too narrow-minded to encompass all that Jesus had intended when he said the abundant life or, or life to the full. You see, Jesus' definition would have been a little different. His was, which is often translated eternal life, his definition of the abundant life is, is life with him. It's life at the intersection of heaven and earth where Jesus resides, where the presence of, of God resides in him and then eventually in us. Like This is where the good life takes place as we follow Jesus, as we are with Jesus, as we become more like Jesus and as we do the things that Jesus does. This is what's best for us. And the shepherd wants what's best for the sheep. Now the third thing that we can see in this passage, the third demonstration of relationship is the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know him. Jesus tells us, he says, I call you by name, I I will lead you and you will follow me because you know me and you know my voice. But what's taking place in this this visual, in this parable, in this metaphor is is not just simply a training of sheep to be able to recognize a voice. Uh, You know, you start Googling uh, or, you know, going on YouTube and looking for things about sheep, and you'll find some amazing things. Like, I watched a video where, like, all of these people were calling to these 20 sheep, and they just ignored them. And then the shepherd walks up, and he just makes, like, this one little noise, and they all, heads pop up, and they walk to him. But at the same time, it's like, there's, there's training that's involved there. Like, they've just learned, like, this is the man that brings me the food. So it's, what Jesus is talking about is, is not just simply a trick to get his sheep to hear his voice and come, but what Jesus is talking about is belonging. And belonging, when it, as, as described by um, Andy Crouch, is, is when we both are known and loved. We experience belonging. There's a little chart that'll pop up here next. You see, when, when we're known and not loved, we're just fitting in. When we're not known and not loved, we're either ignored or rejected. When we're known and not loved, we experience rejection. But when we are known and we are loved, we experience belonging. And this is a, it's a primary human need, right? It's like beyond like food, water, and air. Like this is the thing that maybe we crave and desire most, to be both known and loved at the exact same time. We kind of talked about it a little bit last week, how the, the light of Christ, it reveals both our brokenness and our belovedness, and yet Jesus at the cross demonstrated that he's not willing to just like hold the two apart, but he wants to bring those two together, that we're both known and loved at the same time, and that that's the, the belonging that is the desire 
of our heart. And really, we look for this in all sorts of places, right? We, we try to find this in, in other relationships. We try to find this in, in you name it. And we're going to try to find this, kind of, this feeling of, of belonging, feeling of both being known and loved at the same time. And yet we can only truly experience this in and through Jesus. And the reason is because he, he knows us and he loves us more than anyone else ever could because Jesus is the one who created us, right? He knows every, every flaw and imperfection, but he also knows every, everything that's good and, and wonderful about us because he is the one that created us. So the last way that this relationship is demonstrated and because of all these other things, what Jesus says is the shepherd risks his life and, and lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if you've been, again, paying attention as we've gone through John, we've, we've seen this actually take place where Jesus risks his life for the sheep. I mean, we can, we can see the number of times where the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders picked up stones to kill Jesus because of something that he did for someone that he loved, typically on, on the Sabbath. And what we'll see as we continue in the story is that he will not only risk his life for the sheep, but he will lay his life down on the cross for the sheep. This is the last thing, the demonstration of a relationship that we see in this passage, which brings us back to this idea of defining this relationship. Because the question that we would ask at the end of that is, why? Like, why would he do all these things? It's because of of the relationship. And what's that relationship? Well, it's, the relationship is this, is that the sheep, they belong to the shepherd. Now, when I say that the sheep belong to the shepherd, I don't mean that they just simply, uh, that's belonging like we just talked about, just be, simply being known and loved, although that is part of it. No, when it says that the sheep belong to him, it's like they belong to him. They are his sheep. Jesus said, I know my own sheep. And my sheep know me. Now, I realize that like, the idea, like that's the sound of that, might make us kind of bristle or, or cringe a little bit. We don't like the idea of, of being owned or being like property of, of an assorted. And even our country has a, a horrible history of, of people owning people. And so we, we might bristle at that idea. But listen to what John says at the beginning of this gospel when he's talking about Jesus. He says, he came to that which was his own, that which belonged to him. But his own, that which belonged to him, did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, to become or to belong to Jesus is not to become property. It's to become family. Just in the next few months, probably the next four to six months, my family is getting ready to send one of our kids off to college. And, and it makes me really understand like this idea when I think about my son leaving our care, leaving our protection, leaving what we know is, is best for him, and then going out onto his own to, to, to begin to live his, his own life. The reality that my son belongs to me, but I don't own him. It became more clear as, as I began to see it that way. And as we look back at this story, and when we look back at just the way that relationship was demonstrated, the shepherd protects the sheep. The sheep wants the best for, or the shepherd wants the best for the sheep. 
The shepherd knows the sheep and they know him. And because of all this, the shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. This looks a lot more like family than it does property. The thing about it is, is that it all comes at at a cost. It comes at a cost to us. And it comes at a cost to Jesus. We see this throughout the New Testament. Let me just read you a couple of examples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then Peter, in 1 Peter, wrote this in chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Because here's the thing, is we're all going to belong to something. We're all going to become um, owned in a sense by something. We're all, we will all be enslaved to something. But the difference with Jesus is that in Jesus there is both um, life and love. There is belonging and safety. There is flourishing and there is freedom. And all of these things are encompassed in the word Family. And so for us, the question that we might ask is like, so what does it mean if I say, or even I say, or I pray, Jesus, I, I belong to you? Like, what is the, that, how does that change the way that I, that I look at Jesus? How does that change the way I look at myself? How does that change the way that I, that I look at the, the good shepherd or the, the shepherd that we read about in Psalm 23? And how does it change the way that I actually begin to submit my life to that good shepherd? Well, I have a prayer this morning that I want to share with you that for me has helped to just clarify some of those things, but then also reorient myself with Jesus at at the center as the one who I belong to. So let me read this to you. It says, Jesus, I belong to you. I am no longer my own, but yours. You are my Lord and my God. I give you my complete, undivided, and wholehearted attention. I give you my desires and affections and only receive them back as they have been granted by you. Jesus, I belong to you. Henceforth, your vision will be my sight, your word my food, your spirit my breath, your resurrection my power, your suffering my fellowship, your kingdom my ambition, your people my passion, your love my life. Jesus, I belong to you. I covenant with you the following exchanges, my emptiness for your fullness, my brokenness for your wholeness, my sin for your righteousness, my guilt for your pardon, my lust for your longings, my drunkenness for your sobriety, my shame for your glory, my pride for your humility, my thirst for your fame, or my thirst for fame for your desire for holiness, my striving for your rest, my impossible burden for your easy yoke. 
Jesus, I belong to you. You are to me the word made flesh, the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being, the first fruits of the resurrection, the bright and morning star, the ancient of days, the son of God and the son of man, the bread of heaven, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord of heaven and earth. By your commission, I am called. By your calling, I am chosen. In your communion, I am consecrated. Through your fullness, I am overflowing. In your holy love, I am joyfully alive. Jesus, I belong to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Now that's a, that's a long prayer. It may take a while to, to memorize that, to have that become a, a prayer. But what if, if we, as we navigate the next five weeks of Lent, as we navigate the, this path along with Jesus towards his crucifixion, but then also towards his resurrection, what if we began to just simply pray, Jesus, I belong to you. And all that that encompasses, Jesus, I belong to you. Let me invite the the worship team to come back up. And this morning, uh, we're going to take communion together. Now, we're taking communion on the, on the first Sunday of Lent. And I mentioned this last week, I believe, that, that Sundays in Lent, they're actually feast days. They're like mini Easter's where we, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's not a day for fasting, but it's a day for feasting. So today we will feast on the bread of life. We will feast on, on real bread and, bread and we'll feast on, on the cup, which is the covenant that was made in, in Jesus' blood that, that brings us to redemptions. But it's an opportunity for us to feast. But I want to read to you from what Jesus said earlier in John chapter 6 when he actually talks about the bread of life. And he's talking to those who were wanting to, to know what to do and, and where to get this bread. And Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses that has given you the bread from heaven, But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, I know that there are a few of us, there are probably many of us that came in hungry today literally hungry because they've been, they've been fasting in, in some form or, or some fashion over the last handful of days. And this bread will take even more significance as, as you take that into an, an empty stomach. But what it points to is, is that Jesus is, what he did on the cross, it satisfied what was needed to be done. And the grace that is available to us, it will sustain us. You see, we can fast from food because we can be sustained by the grace of God. And so this morning, I'm going to just read from 1 Corinthians, the classic communion passage. 
And then what I'll do is I'm just going to invite you to come when you're ready. The worship team will be playing some music in the background for a few minutes, and then we'll close by singing a few songs. And, and I want to give you the, the space to, to come when you're prepared, come when you're comfortable to receive uh, both the bread and, and the cup. And we have three different stations, so you can kind of come and, and follow a nice flow of traffic so people can have as, as much space as is needed. And, and on the far side over there, if you want a gluten-free option, um, that is there as well. And also on that table, we have, I know you, if you've been here before, you know we've used some of these pre packaged um, communion cups and if that is what you would prefer today there's a dozen or so of those on that table as well otherwise when you're ready you can come up and and take one or or two pieces of of real bread if you're hungry you can take a a cup and then when you're ready to receive communion maybe reflect on on that prayer Jesus I belong to you and all that that encompasses and entails Jesus I belong to you. Let me pray, and then as you are ready, you can come up to receive communion. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you, the bread of life, knowing that that you are able to sustain us by your grace. We come hungry this morning, not even hungry for bread, but Lord Jesus, hungry for more of you. And so as we feast on, on what you have given to us, as we come to this table together, would you continue to reveal to us the cost that was paid, but may we not linger there forever because today is not a day of of crucifixion. Today is a day of of resurrection. So we will recognize and we will be grateful for the work that you did on the cross, but we will celebrate that we are walking into new life with you today as we receive your bread and your body, as we receive the cup and your blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. like a descent, right? It feels like we're, we're moving down towards death and down towards the cross. And that's actually okay for us to be in that space a little bit, to, to experience and understand our humanity, to, to take on the, the, I don't know, the reality of what's taken place for us. But the beauty of it, and that's what I love about Sundays throughout this season, is that there, there are many Easter's. They're an opportunity for us to not just recognize what was done on Good Friday and and the cost and the price that was paid there, but then the opportunity for us to not only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, but his resurrection of us. As he continues to infuse us with his Holy Spirit, as he continues to meet us where heaven and earth collide in our everyday, 
in our homes, in our families, and in our workplaces. And that's how we leave today and we enter into another week where we will, we will reflect, we will repent of our sins, but we will come back ready on Sunday to, to celebrate. And each Sunday of, of Lent, we're going to be taking communion probably not real bread every Sunday, but we will be taking communion um, every Sunday, celebrating a little Easter until we get to Easter. And we can't wait to do that with you next week. Have a great week. God bless you as you go.